Just doing announcements. I'll do it. <laughs> <laughs> no, you won't. <laughs> you never know what's going to happen when you give Jared the mic. So, uh, good morning. Welcome this morning. And uh, if you haven't figured it out already, there was a time change today. Uh, some of you are thinking, you know, what, what's going on here? I, got, I arrived at a certain time, and church is different, and all this kind of stuff. But uh, yeah. So I'm, I'm fishing for my announcement sheet. Where'd it go? Right there. Okay. I was taking notes on the back side of it. That's why I'm having trouble. Anyway, welcome this morning. It's, uh, it's a new day that God has made, and he's made it for us to worship and serve him. So let's, uh, let's seek him with all our heart here for a few minutes. Father, we want to thank you that you gave to each one of us today bodies that are capable of worshiping you. And uh, we are enjoying a health so that we can come together and worship and fellowship together. Thank you that you've given us so many different senses in our bodies that parallel the spiritual senses that you're trying to work into us. Thank you for the sense of taste, that we're going to be able to taste bread and juice today that you want us to taste the life of Christ in our spirits. Thank you for eyes to see today, uh, to see the beauty you've created in this creation, the beauty of people around us. The, and thank you for giving us spiritual eyes to see the beauty of Christ and the beauty of truth. Lord, we thank you for the gift of touch that allows us to hug people we love and and show our just how much we want to serve others we thank you for touching our spirits by your spirit and we pray that today we would be sensitive to the, the touch of your hand thank you for hearing lord that we get to hear music we get to hear the words that others speak that allow us to know their hearts and thank you for giving us spiritual hearing that allows us to hear the most important voice in this universe, which is yours. And so this morning, we, we're just grateful, grateful for bodies with which we can worship you. And it is our desire that we would be utterly consumed on the altar of your holiness today. We pray it in Jesus' name. A few things to bring to your attention as far as uh, instructions, kind of for the morning. Uh, you'll find in your in your program or on those connect cards, like Joe's got next to him here. Uh, that's your way of uh, well communicating some things that we're going to ask you to do throughout the service, but also of just communicating to us as a church here what you want to see God do in your life. And and when you ask for a prayer request, whether it's on there or you come up after the service and you pray with one of us up here, um, that changes us because you've entrusted to us a, a, a special gift. And so please don't, don't hold on to that. If God is saying, you need to ask for prayer for something, please do that. And let us, let us pray and be changed as a, as a church as we pray one for another. Uh, secondly, there, um, there's going to be another training. We've some of you are working with our children's ministry or youth ministry. 
some of you are working uh, in our safety team, or you say, I I'd like to be available to work in those ministries. Well, before you can do anything in those ministries, you have to go through some training, and one of those is, is abuse prevention training, okay? And so uh, that's going to happen. We're going to do our third training. We just finished another one, and it was full up. So we're, we're offering a third one, and that's going to be April 10th, Saturday, April 10th. So put that on your calendar if you say, yeah, I want to be involved in any of those ministries, and I haven't gotten that training yet. And, and what's that? What time? 930 to 1130 on Saturday, April 10th. Okay, very good. Thanks, Jesse. And then uh, finally, we had one of our senior saints graduate to heaven uh, about a couple weeks ago, I think. And so her service is uh, Tuesday at Heritage, which is out there in Government Way, at actually 1 o'clock. I was wrong. It is, not, it is 1 o'clock, not 1.30. So that's Evie Paulson. Uh, Evie, some of you know her. She, she was up in her late 80s, early 90s, I think it was. And, uh, but she's enjoying the Lord today. So we get to kind of rehearse her life on Tuesday and, uh, and be challenged by that. And I would, I would invite you also to pray uh, for me and for others who are going to have part of that service because some of her family members are not walking with the Lord. And that was her dying wish, that they would, through her life and through her death, that they would come to Christ and, and really uh, find their purpose in the Lord. So, all right, with that, uh, I think we're, uh, Bob, yeah, you're next here, and uh, we have a ministry that we, uh, is new and fresh, but uh, uh, we want you to know about it and perhaps get involved in it, so. Yeah, good morning. Uh, this morning, our ministry focus is Jesus Coffeehouse on Friday night. Well, last, uh, last fall, uh, Linda, she came, and come on up, Linda, please. And she was downstairs talking to Jeff, and Jeff goes, Bob, 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 you got to meet this lady, you got to meet this lady. So I went out and met Linda, and I said, okay, yeah, I'll show you the hub sometime. And I walked over to my office in the hub, and I sat down, and I went, what in the world am I doing? And God says, oh, Bob, you go back and get this lady. And so I went back, and on November 13th, her and her son opened up Jesus' Coffee House on Friday nights uh, here at the hub. And ever since, it has been an absolute blessing. They're truly touching lives. And... I asked Dan uh, some questions this morning, uh, you know, tell us a little bit about you, what brought you to Spokane, and then about Jesus' Coffee House, but I've interviewed her before on Saturday night, so I'm just going to give her the mic. Well, um, first of all, I want you to know that I'm super honored to be here this morning, and super honored to be able to use the facility of the hub on Friday night as an evangelistic outreach tool to the broken and the lost and the addicted and the drug addict and whosoever will may come, yes. Well, <clears throat> a little bit about me, all right. Um, I'm an Iowa farm girl the oldest of four children, so I had to help my dad. Uh, I learned how to get milk out of a cow and ride a horse and tractor. <laughs> and um, I went to a little Methodist church. Um, but as a teenager, I began to get bored. Um, everybody was kind. But what bothered me was that 
the Jesus that I read about in the Bible, opening blind eyes and helping the poor and changing the situation, I didn't see any of that Jesus happening. So I nearly gave up on my faith. Well, my mom was <clears throat> rushed to the hospital, and she was about to die. And it shook me up. And so I went out on a cornfield as a teenager, and I said, look, I don't know how to pray. I don't know if you're real. But my mom's dying. If you're real, save her life. Two days later, she came home completely healed by the power of God. Then I thought the best thing for me to do is to thank him. So I went back out to the cornfield, looked up at the sky, and I said, thank you for giving me back my mom, and thank you for showing me that you are real, just the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I gave you my life. <laughs> Yeah, that prayer caused me to end up in Central Bible Institute in Springfield, Missouri, after I finished high school. And at that Bible school, in a uh, student meeting, we were introduced to a skinny little man that looked really insignificant. And it was not, none other than David Wilkerson, a skinny little man from a little village church. He'd never been to a big city in all of his life, a little church in Pennsylvania. And I thought, now, what's, what's going to come out of that? But anyway, he began to speak. This is so fantastic. First of all, there was the need. The Time magazine had written that seven teenage murderers had jumped Michael Farmer in Central Park, New York, brought their knives out of their boots and stabbed him to death and left him in a pool of blood. This was not the only incident. The gangs of New York were murdering, killing, they were beyond what any police or any social worker could do. The drug addiction was more than, than could be cured. So you have this geographical area where the police don't even want to go in, where they can't get free from their heroin, and when the gangs are killing each other. And that's an impossible situation in the hit front page of the newspapers. I love this. I love this because when there's an impossible situation or an impossible geographical area, man can't, but God can. And God can look after the most insignificant person. Bob, Pastor John, little farm girl me. Little country preacher, David Wilkerson. And he can speak to them. And he spoke to David Wilkerson. And he cried when he saw a picture in Life magazine of those 
teenagers. And he didn't know why he was crying, but it was because God was giving him a burden for that area in New York where man could not. And he began to walk the streets. And he met the leader of the Mau Mau gang, Nicky Cruz. If you've read the book, The Cross on the Switchblade, you know about Nicky Cruz. If you've read the book, you've read about Linda Meisner, I'm in the book, then you've read about me. But anyway, Nicky Cruz had already stabbed 16 teenagers, and he walked up to David Wilkerson, and he said, I don't like you on our turf. I don't like you in our area. I could take a knife out of my pocket. I can stab you to death and leave you in a thousand pieces here on the sidewalk. And there's a test, the love of God. And David Wilkerson looked at this young, frustrated, confused boy and said, every one of those thousand pieces will cry out, Jesus loves you. Only a few weeks after that, Nicky Cruz was on his face before God, weeping and repenting, confessing his sins, became a born-again Christian. And he walked back to the rest of his gang, and he said, you followed me in gang war, now you're going to follow me to God. And they all got out and got saved. So in one day, God cleaned up the Mau Mau gang. So that geographical area was changed. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And uh, he came to our school because after a while, he couldn't handle it all himself. He needed helpers, volunteers. And uh, he said, if you want to help me, after he had spoken in the college, come to the library and meet me. And I went and met David Wilkerson face to face. And I said, I'll go. I'll go. He said, you might get killed. I said, that's all right. I'll go. <laughs> Amen. And I went and was one of the first workers to help David Wilkerson on the streets of New York. Now, we saw gang after gang, the chaplains were changed, and um, the hellburners were changed. Gang after gang after gang, usually the leader got saved, and then that brought in the whole gang. We saw it happen. We saw it happen. Every week we saw something happen. It was fantastic. It was marvelous. Miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle got the Teen Challenge Center, a place for the people to stay and get their lives changed. And I worked on the streets of New York for about three or four years. And then they began to call us from all over America. Philadelphia wanted a Teen Challenge, Los Angeles wanted a Teen Challenge, and so forth. And we saw God raise up a standard against him. It says when the enemy comes in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord will raise up a standard against him. And I, they saw the geographical area of Brooklyn and Bronx changed by the miracle power of God. So that's my background. That's what I mean. I don't mean just doing religion. I don't mean just, you know, I mean that the God... The Jesus that walked this earth over 2,000 years ago, he's still walking the earth because his spirit is living in us. And the power of the miracles in the book of Acts, 
they are still happening today. And I have experienced it with my own life. I've experienced four revivals. The Teen Challenge Revival, which there's 1,000 Teen Challenges all over the world today. Miracle after miracle is still going on. The second one was the Jesus People Revival, the Jesus Movement. You know, they had the uh, peace, uh, the, the war in Vietnam, and the peace movement, and Timothy Leary, he discovered the LSD drug, and yeah, hippies dropped out, and love, and dope, and they fled, they all moved out to the West Coast. There they were, hundreds and thousands of them. What did you have then in history? You had then in history another impossible situation, a geographical area of the West Coast that man and parents could not do anything about. And what did God do? His same pattern, he decided, he saw them, he saw them weeping, he knew why they were doing drugs, he knew why they had dropped out, and God loved them. And then what did God do? He looked for somebody. He looked for somebody to use. Yeah. Well, he sent me to Seattle. And he sent uh, Lonnie Frisbee and Chuck Smith down in California. He sent some other guys to San Francisco. He sent people. And in Seattle one night when I was weeping before the Lord, he, told, he gave me a vision. And in the vision, I saw a coffee house. I never had thought about a coffee house for Jesus. I didn't even know how to make one. I didn't know anything about it. But in the vision, he showed me everything clearly. There was to be a stage or an area where there came forth the message of Jesus Christ from bands and musicians. There was to be tables and chairs, little candles, yes, and a prayer room, and a counter for free coffee and donuts. So when I came back, I got that vision in, New in uh, Mexico City. When I came back to Seattle, um, I said, this is, what, this is our new instructions. <laughs> so we started looking for a building, and we didn't have any money. And uh, a rich lady uh, came by and saw what I was doing, walking the streets every day, and she arranged for us to get a big warehouse for $10 a month. And we started up the first Jesus People Coffee House in Seattle. And uh, then we had a flyer, and we went out and invited people. And the people came. <laughs> and uh, when the people came, they got saved. And then they got discipled. And then we added them to the team and took them out to the streets. And that grew and grew. And after about two months, we were running hundreds of young people in that coffee house every weekend. And that changed Seattle. That was the revival that hit Seattle in 1970. Coffee houses started to spring up all over the Northwest. Souls were saved, and it became the Jesus People Revival. Now, hallelujah. I better shut up. All right. So, 
Now we're going to bring it to downtown Spokane. And that's why, that's the background of why I do Jesus people, coffee houses. Because God showed me that vision. And it's an evangelistic tool. It's an outreach that whosoever will may come. And we're so glad to be here every Friday night. And I can tell you, every Friday night, it's not the same. Every Friday night, God miraculously shows up and does something. We were running approximately 50 people every Friday with the influx of people coming in and going out. And when they come in, they get a dose of love, all the love they can get. We're so glad to see you. Yeah. You know, you have a vision in your head that though they might be homeless and dirty, what do you think they'd look like with new clothes and a haircut and a shower and a, you know what I mean? A place to sleep beside the street. I always have that vision. Wow, I know you seem really ugly right now, but I can see what Jesus can do to you. You won't even be the same. And with my background, it's too late for you to tell me that Jesus can't change them. Jesus can change any of them. That's the truth. And so we've had the message when I, oh, this is amazing. We had the message that they, if they would really follow Jesus, we told them, Jesus doesn't want you sleeping on the street. If you really follow Jesus, follow his word, really love him, Jesus can make a place for you to, to, to live. And so far, we can tell you that we've had seven different real drug addicts or real alcoholics that have come off the street, that have prayed through to God, and have been driven to a rehab center. Praise the name of the Lord. That's that I know about. This morning, Benjamin was telling me about another guy he met. Him and Bruce met in the parking lot, and he had gotten really saved. And uh, Benjamin was standing there with him and saying, oh, my God, he's really been touched by God. What am I going to and now he's going to sleep on the street. That's a heartbreaker, I'm telling you. And just then, when he cried out to God, here pulled up a van. <laughs> I don't know how it all happened, but it ended up that the van drove the guy to a rehab. Hallelujah. So God is on the move. So we see souls saved every Friday night. We see souls changed every Friday night. We started with no volunteers, no workers, and now we have a team of 12 that not only just help make coffee in that, they're all trained to be able to talk. We talk to everyone that comes in personally, heart to heart. We don't want one that comes in to not be shared the gospel of Jesus Christ. We preach every Friday night. And you know what? We're getting a taste of a revival. Amen. Thank you, thank you, dear lady. Guys, please, even if you got something to do on a Friday night, cancel it. Come down and visit Jesus Coffee House because they're doing amazing work for God. Thank you, Linda, very much. All right. Wasn't sure if I was on or not. Seems like I am. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that 
you may test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. We want to know what God's will is for our life. We want to operate in Christ. So God gives us a recipe. For the first 11 chapters of Romans, we've just gotten through it. It's mostly doctrine. Paul is writing to the church in Rome, and he's telling them all about doctrine. Well, in the last third of the book, starting from chapter 12, he switches over to application of the word. So we are going to dive into some application this morning in Romans 12. So let's pray as we go into this that we would hear God's voice and we, the Holy Spirit would speak to us through his word this morning. Father in heaven, we praise you for who you are, that you are a good God, that you are evidence all over through creation and through so many different ways. Lord, as we uh, come this morning, we ask that you would open our hearts and our ears and our minds to hear what you would have us say regarding our behavior in Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. TJ, would you put that there for me? Um, Romans 12. Yeah, it's interesting. Linda was talking about Jesus Coffee House. Uh, and if it wasn't for Linda starting Jesus, Jesus Coffee House, I would not be here today. My father was one of the men that started a Jesus Coffee House in Coeur d'Alene. And my mother was uh, on the beach over in Coeur d'Alene when he was walking down yelling out, does anyone want to get baptized? It's a little bit different <laughs> way we operate uh, back then in the 70s than we did today. But what happened was she responded to that call, was baptized, and I'm going to a Bible study. A couple weeks later, she went to that Bible study. After, they sat at a, a restaurant there with a Mr. Steak. And if you're familiar with Coeur d'Alene back in the you know, 70s, 80s, there was a Mr. Steak on uh, Highway 95 there by the hospital. And they sat there. I didn't realize it was Mr. Steak because he gave her a ride. My dad gave her a ride home after that. And if you know where Coeur d'Alene is and you know the hospital is, he went down along the dike road out around by, you know, the point there. And, and Mr. Steak was one block from her house. Uh, anyway, on that drive, he proposed to her, and they were married three weeks later. So uh, the Jesus Coffee House plays an important role in my life. And as much as uh, that worked in their case, they didn't encourage it for others. So I uh, want to get that out. So thank you, Linda, for sharing that. Amazing testimony this morning of where God has brought you from Iowa to New York to Seattle and now to our backyard here in Spokane. Praise the Lord. Well, as we look at Romans 12, 1 and 2, uh, again, Paul has just talked a ton about doctrine, and now we're talking about the application of that. And I've broken this down into just a classic exegetical move. We're going to walk through this thing because it, it, it just plays out. It's, it's very sequential on what we're supposed to do. So I follow that pattern, and, and that's how we're going to look at it this morning. Oh, it starts out with, therefore, and every time we see a therefore, we have to find out what it's, right? And so, I just actually covered that, so I jumped ahead. Uh, it's therefore, because uh, in the last chapter, he's talking about um, the mercy that he showed, that God showed on the Jews and the Gentiles alike. And that's a theme that we've seen run throughout the book of Romans, that, that God's message isn't just for the Jews, it's for the Gentiles as well. Right? We've seen this. It's just kind of been hammered home. And the grace that God bestowed on the Gentiles and, indeed, the Jews is really powerful. I'm not going to take the time to read through them, but there is just a bajillion, well, there's nine that I have, uh, of these references through Romans. Romans 1 says, we receive grace and apostleship to call on the Gentiles. Um, how much more did God's grace than the gift that came by the grace of one man overflow to many? There's a, whereby sin increased. Grace increased all the more. 
And just as sin reigned in death, also grace might reign through righteousness. Romans 6 says, For sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under the law but under grace. Romans 6, 1 says, What shall we say then? Shall we continue sinning just so that we can get more grace? No, God forbid, if you use it in the King James. God forbid. And, the, and Paul uses these strong words in Romans, uh, like in this one here. I urge you, brothers and sisters. I memorized it in the 1984 version of NIV, so they've added the sisters part to it since then. And it's hard to change your thinking after you memorize something as a kid. But So I'm equating a little bit here grace and mercy. So I wanted to clarify what it, the difference between justice, grace, and mercy. In fact, I got that backwards. Justice, mercy, and grace. So justice is getting what we deserve, isn't it? So the example I would use is I'm playing baseball in my backyard. I throw the ball, and I'm really bad at baseball. It goes through the window. Now, who's responsible to pay for the new window? Well, if justice is served, me. I'm responsible. But... My dad shows mercy on me, and he says, son, you don't have to pay for the window. I got it covered. Well, grace is taking that a step further. So let's look at this again. Justice is getting what I deserve. Mercy is not getting what I deserve, because I deserve to pay for the window. But he says, no, you don't. And then grace is getting what I do not deserve. Here's an example of that. I throw the ball through the window, it breaks. My dad says, I don't have to pay for it. But then he takes it to the next level and he says, in fact, your baseball got a rip on it. I'm going through the window. How about we go out and buy you a new baseball this afternoon? Right? So now that's, that's the grace component. It's getting something I didn't deserve. In fact, I deserve to have to buy the window. Instead, he's not only paying for the window, he's paying for a new baseball for me. That's the, the concept. But grace and mercy are very closely intertwined in, in, as we think about what God did for us. And, and the word mercy here is often translated compassion. So he's saying, I urge you, brothers and sisters, he's writing this letter to Rome, he's writing it to the church, he's writing to believers, I'm telling you, I urge you, because of God's mercy, his compassion, what is his compassion for? He's given us grace. Like, he has showed such great compassion that he died for our place. And that was the message, again, for Jews and Gentiles. I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, so now we know what it is, because God's done all this for you, to do what? To offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. The folks reading this letter at the time would be familiar with the word sacrifice. Of course, the picture that we're we're seeing of a sacrifice. When you think of the word sacrifice, from their perspective, you would take an animal and kill it. Of course, there was Roman gods that they did that practice with, and, and the Jewish uh, and, and God, where you would slit the throat of the animal. And it wasn't something you would just, it wasn't like they just put an IV in and took out some blood, right, to use the animal again later. And it, no, it was, it was a, you would give it to life for this sacrifice. So it was the ending of a life. And that's the imagery that he's saying. A living sacrifice is, is a juxtaposition. These two words, it's like military, military intelligence, right? That's is the old joke. I couldn't think of another one. I know there's lots of them, but I was just so stumped. Um, what was it? Jumbo shrimp. I'm, oh, thank you. 
Yes. Jumbo, we think of the elephant, but not these tiny. Yeah, okay. So, <laughs> jumbo shrimp. Why didn't I think of that? Um, but that's the idea here. He's saying the death, that's the imagery we see, a death of an animal, but a living death. What does that mean? Well, it means that we're supposed to die to ourselves, to the old man that was our, we were following patterns of this world, that was the, who we were, and yet we're supposed to live for him each day. And so let's look at that a little bit. Um, living for him each day is often difficult. It's, it's the little things that are often more difficult than doing the one big thing. Maybe God has called you to do the one big thing, like we heard about several weeks ago with Adoniram Judson, who was called for big things, right? He left the country, didn't, wasn't to return for 33 years. He lost his wife and his first three children. He ended up losing his second wife and two more children, and eventually gave his own life when he went back to Burma. But I would suggest that those big things are not as difficult, I think, as the consistent doing of the small things. Recently, I, I was talking with a friend of mine on Friday, and I've mentioned this friend to you before. Uh, he had a, a good buddy of his uh, die of cancer in the last 12 months, a real close friend of his. And then this summer, I had a great opportunity to have a conversation with him about life and death when his other close friend drowned. In fact, he was showing me pictures of them snowmobiling up above Wallace, and we didn't even know he was dead yet. He died that morning. His wife, after that, left him in December. And two weeks ago, he was in bed and got a call from his little group that snow, he snowmobiles with and said, there's been an avalanche, we need you to help rescue him. So he left. He beat the rescue team from Wallace. Someone built in 10 miles, dug 15 feet down, and recovered the body of his friend to do CPR. He had done the airbag. He done, had a transceiver on. Everything had done right. But when you get wrapped around a tree 15 feet deep, didn't make it. And he had to carry his friend's body back out to the parking lot 10 miles away in the middle of the night. He showed me pictures on Friday. The funeral was yesterday. And he said, I said, well, you're... And this guy's nuts. He's one of those guys that takes the biggest jumps, and he's always the first one. I said, why weren't you sledding with him? I thought, he said, well, I convinced my buddy that drowned this summer to buy my same snowmobile. And I felt so much guilt at his death that I sold everything just weeks ago. He said, I wish I had been there, because I would have been the one that was dead. I just want to be done. I don't want to live this life anymore. Because it's harder sometimes to live in consequence or facing out all these different actions that we're called to do than it is. Paul says, for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. I get to leave and be with God. But has he called us just to die? No, he's called us to live, to be a living sacrifice. So that's this picture. We're working out this salvation, this sanctification in a day-by-day -day process, which is very, very difficult. But it's worth it, and it's what we're called to do. And why do we want to do it? Because of his amazing grace and mercy that he showed for us. 
So Luke 16.10 says, He who is faithful in very little things is faithful also in much. So our job is to cover the little things first. We want to be faithful in these little things so that we can be faithful in the big things like Adoniram Judson. Let's move on to spiritual act of worship. So therefore, I urge you, brother, in view of God's mercy, we cover that, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. We've covered that. Now we're going to go on. This is your spiritual act of worship. Or some translations say uh, it is your spiritual service of worship. When we think of worship service, what do we think of typically? It's the 15 or 20 minutes that we're singing over here, or maybe you're jamming out in your car to the radio station. Or maybe you think of this whole service here, what we're doing now with teaching and fellowship and and singing. That's a corporate worship. That's what we do together. And what Paul's talking about is not corporate worship. He's talking about the day-to-day simple worship that you're called to do on your own to glorify God. The Westminster Catechism, the Shorter Catechism, says the chief end of man, does anyone know the end of that? Is to what? To glorify God and worship him forever, right? And enjoy him is actually what they say. Isaiah 29, 13 says this. The Lord says, these people come near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is based on merely human rules which they have been taught. And sometimes that's us. We come to this corporate worship, but we're just following a holy fire. You know? John was pointing out, how many times do I, I lift my hands to you? We're singing the song about lifting our hands and everything just standing around. You know, we want to, like, are we actually doing what we're singing? Where's the connection between our mouth and our mind? Worship on Worshiping God is on par with glorifying God. I love the image in Revelation of what it's going to be like to glorify God in eternity. I'm so excited for that. Um, I'm going to bring the conclusion of verse 1 here because I've got like six minutes to wrap this up. Um, Just when we're getting to the meat of the message. I want to talk about what we've learned in verse 1. Verse 1, we're taught what we are to do. What are we supposed to do? Offer our bodies as a living Okay, and we're told why we're to do that. Uh, We are to do that. Obedience to Christ is our act of worship because he saved us. It's because of his mercy that we do this. This is our gratitude that we we obey. So we've learned the what we are to do, the why we are to do, and verse 2 talks about the how we are to do it, what and why we've got covered. I'm going to zip through this really quick. I was saved uh, at a real early age, age five. And I was raised in the church. We went to church all the time. Uh, I think 16 or 17 times a week is what it felt like. Because we were Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, Tuesday night Bible study, Friday night ice cream social. And um, and one time my parents, we were there so often it felt like home. I fell asleep after the third service, I think. It's one of those situations. And I woke up, it was like 1.30. My parents gone home and eaten. They hadn't even noticed I was gone. Um, so we were there a lot. We were there at church a lot. That's uh, what I'm trying to say. Um, but for me, I was, if I go back to this Isaiah 29, 13, the people that come near me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me, that was me. 
I had accepted Christ as a five-year-old, but I was just living in this Christian bubble, kind of protected, just <whistles> going along. And eventually, my parents, of course, moved us to Indonesia. It was just another subset of that same bubble. I ended up coming back, moving to Montana, and I went to a Bible school where I got kicked out. They apologized later. It wasn't my fault. Uh, I said, I'll go to Moody. They'll take me. So I ended up in Spokane here when Moody Northwest was a thing. And I was still kind of inside this protective bubble. I ended up leaving and moving to Alaska where uh, I was able to exit the bubble. Have you ever had that happen? Boom. No bubble. No protection. And what do you do as a young man with no bubble? You make bad choices, of course, especially when this Christianity hasn't truly really become real to you in your heart. What I needed to do was to stop following the patterns of this world and be renewed by the transforming of my mind. But I didn't do that. Instead, I literally remember praying this prayer. God, I know that you harden our heart if we keep ignoring you, but please don't harden it yet because I'm just having lots of problems. How selfish. I, I mean, I feel it's worse than just, because uh, I was consciously saying, God, I don't, I don't want your help yet because I'm, I'm enjoying my sin. So, I was, there was a missionary, old man, was close to me, and lived close, a couple of miles away. He found out that I was a missionary's kid, he invited me to his church, kind of strong-armed me into that position. And then as I was standing up there telling, answering questions of what it was like to be a missionary kid at his church, he stands up and asks me that, that wonderful question that we all ask each other every day. What's your spiritual life been like since you've come back to America? So deer in the headlights, or up there was caribou in the headlights. And I didn't have an answer. So I ended up coming down to the States. Um, I was in, was in Canada visiting a, a missionary friend, and they're, and they're Dutch, which is a very, uh, I don't know if you know anything about the Dutch. They tend to be very forthcoming and frank. Um, there's a lot of Dutch in Indonesia where I grew up because of the, the colonization that happened in the 1800s with the Spice Islands and the, and the Dutch owners. So a lot of the words in, in Indonesian are Dutch, actually. So Tanta is aunt, and Om is uncle. So Tanta Meep, this was her name. I was driving her around before the wedding, and, and she uh, turned to me and said, So, Jess, of course, heavy Dutch accent, what has your spiritual life been like since you've been back in America? Again, heavy. And I answered her honestly this time. I said, you know what? I had this question asked me before. I've been working on it. It's really hard. I've been failing and I've been struggling. What do I do? And she just tore me apart. You think you can do this on your own. And here am I thinking I'm being so holy. I'm going to just come clean to Tanta Meep. And no, she was hard on me. And it was good hard. She said, you think you can do this without the Holy Spirit? You need to ask the Holy Spirit to give you the desire to do these things because without that desire, you're not going to get anything done. You're just living for yourself and pleasing yourself. So I prayed for a number of days, ended up having an encounter on New Year's Eve, and it was kind of that first awakening. It was, I, I, I was a believer, I'm, I think, from a child, but it was this kind of this experience where I, I felt the Holy Spirit moving me, and it wasn't like I had this huge epiphany. I just felt the Lord tell me, I chose you in the womb before you were born. You're my kid. It's your job to follow me. So not real profound when you just look at the words on it. But what happened when the Holy Spirit moved into my heart is where I felt a desire to follow him at that point. 
Because I was yelling at him in that shower. I was angry because I'd been praying for days and I felt nothing. I'd never experienced anything. I was in the word, and that was my response. Well, he showed up like he did with Linda, and a little bit was like, slap me around and say, okay, all right, get me, get me, uh, get going. Well, the process of renewal, uh, I'm going to say the verse again, I urge you in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. And now we go into verse two, do not conform any longer to the patterns of this world. That's what I was doing. I was conforming to whatever I wanted to do in Alaska. I was living for myself. And that's the next section. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. Uh, the world's patterns change. Their model of what morality is changes daily. If I think about when I was a kid, was it okay for a couple to be living together outside of wedlock? No, it was looked down on by Christians and non-Christians alike. And you can watch TV and see if you go back from the 80s all the way till now when that changed when it became normalized, when looking at porn was considered normal and funny, when abortion used to be wrong and now it's something that's celebrated. That's your right. You should do if you just on a whim. See, the, the world's patterns of morality change, but God's patterns do not change. It's consistent. It's transcultural. It's across, it's across time and space from beginning to end. His values remain the same. So, I need to stop conforming to the patterns of this world and move on to the next step, be transformed. But how do I do that? What, what are some of the patterns that I'm currently doing? I thought I broke this into two parts because I feel like we have physical patterns and we also have mental patterns. So for me physically, <laughs> uh, I need to think about what am I eating? What am I drinking? What am I cutting when it comes to my physical body. There's issues I never thought about before coming down here that people cut their bodies. What am I not eating, maybe? What am I smoking? I smoke meat, just to be clear, because I eat a lot. Uh, are you smoking meth? Are you smoking crack? Or are you just smoking cigarettes? You know, maybe you're vaping. What are we doing that is, uh, we're following the patterns of the world that are unhealthy? These are, this is something that we need to contemplate because it's easy to allow ourselves to be tricked and to follow in this pattern. But once you become uh, saved, it's not like you just say, hey, it's perfect all the time. We need to be sanctified. And that process looks like this. Um, I'm going to fast forward to Romans 7, 5 through 10 because we are past time. Those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what nature desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind of sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. The sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, Sorry, nor can it do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. You, however are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit. If the Spirit of God lives in you, and if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin. Yet your spirit is alive because of whose righteousness? Christ's righteousness. 
This is the grace that he's bestowed on us, what we do not deserve. And it's because we do not deserve this grace that we are grateful to him and we want to have this transformed life. I'm going to skip to be transformed. I'm actually going to go back to one thing. We talked about the physical components of what it is to be not conforming. There's this mental component as well. Because, and John touched on it briefly this morning as he began the service, what are we listening to? Because it's not just what we're taking in, cutting, whatever we're doing to our bodies that's wrong. It's also what are we doing wrongly mentally. So are we listening to the wrong things? Maybe you're listening to a podcast that's not appropriate. Are we watching things on the internet or TV? What are we viewing? What are we being angry about? We can just take this little piece of information, just chew on it. Oh, that jerk. Just carb that and just, oh, we get on that. We just, and it makes us more and more angry. And pretty soon we're, we're, we're living in that sinful flesh that we're called to not live in. What are we talking about? The tongue is powerful sharper than any two-edged sword. Are you holding a grudge? Maybe you're cheating on your taxes. Maybe you're stealing from your employer. What are, what are the things that we think about that are enveloping our mind? James 1.19 says, Dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. All right, so we need to be transformed. And I'm going to fly through this. So the transformational process is confession. You know what confession means? To turn away. To turn away from. And that's uh, repentance, actually. To turn away. So confession is the first step in this process of renewing the mind. And this, again, the how-to we do it. So number one, the process of confession. Repentance. To turn away. Acknowledging your sin. Number two, you confess the sin, you ask forgiveness, you turn away from the sin, and then if you need to, you restore any uh, wrongdoing that you might need to. So the first action is addressing the sin issue and getting that taken care of. And then next, it's renewing our mind. Uh, And that's, again, a constant process. It's not like you do it once and you get to just be done. It's a daily thing that we've been talking about. So at the very end here as I close, tools for renewing. You guys want to have some tools to help us out? All right. And I did the pastor thing because I was going to be a really good pastor, and I found words that all start with S because I think in the Bible it tells us we need to do that. <laughs> Not really. So the first tool that we have, Scripture. Scripture, very easy. Uh, John fifteen nine says, if, oh, I'm going to skip that one. It's scripture. We all know that it's through God's word. It's his love letter to us. It's his instructions that we get to look through to determine how we're supposed to live. The next one is spirit. So we've got scripture. We've got his Holy Spirit that lives inside of us and that helps us to, helps guide us. Corinthians 2, through 11 through 13 says, For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person within him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Now, we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit from who, who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. And we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. So we've got the scripture, or sword of the spirit, I almost went with, which is the word of God. 
Scripture, the Spirit, and then we have, it's kind of a stretch, spending time in prayer. So it's still an S. Um, in order to be fully renewed, we need a spiritual rest and a spiritual renewing. And if we look at the life of Christ, I was going to list out all these references. There's tons of them. Where Christ goes away from his disciples and he goes and spends time with his dad. And he just talks to him. And that's our responsibility too. We need to take time and be refreshed spiritually and spend time with God in prayer. The fourth one, S. So we've got scripture, spirit, spending time in prayer. And then, it's a little weak, Jared. I agree with you. I was going to put supplication, but I felt like it was too big of a word. Um, I just am going to go with prayer, okay? Uh, this one is, is trickier. Uh, I was going to say small groups for this last one, but I, the second to last one, but I changed it to submission. And one of the reasons why is when you're in a small group, when you're in an accountability group, you're putting yourselves on submission to the body of believers that you're with. And I'm talking like a small, like small group. And I feel like this is reflected through Scripture. I mean, our best example, Jesus has disciples, but you even have the Peter, James, and John group, you know, that was just tight. We're called to keep each other accountable. We're called to be fruit inspectors, right? We're not supposed to judge other people, but I get to say to you, Benjamin, man, I've been really struggling with this. Will you hold me accountable? I, I go nuts for donuts, right? I love them. Tama brought some amazing donuts this morning, and I went over and I was just like, oh, man, I wanted some donuts. And I refrained. <laughs> so, but having the church body, when I'm in submission to an authority in my life, other than just myself, I get to have this authority. It's filtered through Scripture and the Holy Spirit and spending time in prayer that these brothers and sisters get to help me be the man of God that he's created me to be. It's another tool. And over the last couple of weeks, I've been asking men in the congregation, are you in a small group? Are you in an accountability group? And most people that I've spoke with are not. And most want to. So my question for you this morning is, are you interested in being in a small group? Is this something that would interest you? Because I think it's something we desperately need. I think oftentimes it's easy to spend time in the Word or not, spend time in prayer, you know. Read, read. But if you have an accountability group, they're asking you those things. Hey, are you spending time in the Word? And it's, it helps us to have the foundation points in our life grounded. The last one I will say is stewardship, and I will end with this. I'm truly going to end with this. I said I'm going to end like three times, so I'll put this over here. <laughs> it's, that is a pastor's trick. In, in closing, finally, uh, and then you keep going. Um, the last one is stewardship. Stewardship is our time, our talents that God's given us, and our treasure. Three Ps there. Time, talent, and treasure. Where your money is, there your heart is also. Do you guys know what's going on down here at Mosaic? You know that a year ago, before it was, like, I think it's the anniversary this year of our two-week break, right? We're all going to hang out for two weeks. Well, what has happened? What was happening a year ago? We were at hitting like 100, 120 on a Sunday morning. Last weekend, our weekend was 200, 
50-something. Uh, we're averaging close to 200 now on our service. And it's because there are different ministries that are happening down here. And it's, it's amazing to watch to see what God is doing here because people are giving of their time and their talent and their treasure to see things happen. We were talking about what is the process of servanthood in Mosaic. And we have these three la- layers. I'm going to go over this just very quickly, John, and I'll close. See what I did there? The first one is kind of our bare, bare bones, hey, I'm going to vacuum the floors. or what, Maybe you're going to be involved in child care or the security safety team or the tech team back here or whatever. That's kind of our first level. And then the second level is like an example of what Linda did, right? She comes up and says, I'm starting a ministry. Can I use your space? Or uh, let's do like a Kevin want to get the, the men's ministry going up again. So he said, hey, I want to get the men's ministry. So he and Kelly started that and became a thing. So that's the second level. You say, God's calling me to lead this thing, and I want to lead it. And we say, well, let's, let's get you going. How are we going to support you? And then the third level is uh, the elder board, which is like Jared and, and these girls are here, Bob, John, I. Jeff is here. Andrew was here for a second. Anyway, that's kind of the, the guiding leadership of the church. And our desire is to pull those leaders from the middle tier. Really, the name of our board is called the Ministry Leadership Team. We call it the MLT. And I've always laughed at that because in Simpsons Rides, mutton, lettuce, and tomato. Anyway, um, yes. But God is calling us to submission. So let's, let's run through the five S's really quickly because I'm going to close on this. First one is the sword of the spirit, scripture, scripture, spirit, spending time in prayer, submission, and last one is stewardship. So those five things, uh, I'm really excited about the stewardship component because not only are we seeing just growth in the church, we're seeing lives changed, and it's exciting, you guys. It really is exciting to be a part of this and to be down here saying, what's going to happen next? I feel like this is flowered. It's just budding, and trees coming, and I'm feeling it. Like these, we're going to get even more effective for the kingdom of God downtown Spokane, and I'm inviting you to be a part of it. But first, I would love if you would be involved in a small group. And I'm not even talking about one from Mosaic. I don't care where it's at. You need to be in accountability. You need to have someone who's willing, you're willing to put yourself under submission to a godly Christian person that can say, keep me accountable. So, right here on the corner next to Jeff, or your bulletin, there's a tear-off. If you are interested in seeing God's plan for your life in an accountability group setting, please write on there your name, your contact information, and just write small group. And we want to put together people that actually want to know who God is and his plan for their life. We didn't get to the last point. That'll be another one. You can take it over next Sunday. Let's pray, shall we? Father, thank you that you are God, that you are good to us, that you give us your word, you give us your Holy Spirit, and that we can talk to you just like this. As we give to you of our stewardship in the coming weeks and months, we ask that you would bless that. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You can put your paper when you're done in one of the offering boxes under the door.